Thanks. Thanks, everybody who's here. Good morning, Solano. Wow, this is so weird. <laughs> it's like nobody's here. Well, um, we did have a lot of technical difficulties this morning, but God is good. Um, there was another preacher scheduled, but I'm stepping in. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, that wasn't a difficulty. Um, I have the, the privilege, my name is Miguel, and I have the, the privilege, the honor of sharing today's message with you. And um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that's always very, uh, very scary because, man, God's word, you know, we always want to approach it with such reverence, and I, I take it very seriously um, when this happens. So I am grateful, yeah, to be here. So I'm going to read for us, and then we're going to pray, and I'll, I'll start um, with, with our message. So we're reading from Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, um, all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. And it says this. You can follow along on, it on the screen if you'd like. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Um, pray with me this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, Paul writing to the Philippian church um, and the fact that we get to uh, open it and, and digest it. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, the words that are shared this morning, um, that they would just be uh, nourishment for our souls, for our hearts and our minds, God. Uh, nourishment to us. Uh, may everything that comes out of my mouth, Lord, be pleasing to you this morning. Amen. Amen. So, it's a, it's a great, great passage that, that we've read this morning. And I had no clue how to start and introduce um, what 
this, this uh, sermon today. And I just, I spent some time praying and God, he kind of gave me this, this story picture and I want to share that with you. Um, and I want to uh, preface it bit with, um, you know, have you, have you in this pandemic time, have you looked at sport competitions, sports competitions, um, you know, in these times? It's kind of, it's kind of a dud, right? Like, you know, you have these athletes in the center of this awesome arena and nobody's there, nobody's there. Um, and so with that in mind, I, I want to share this little picture that God brought to me. Imagine yourself in a coliseum filled with myriad, myriads of fellow spectators. You take your seat because the opening ceremony is about to begin. A blast of trumpets fills the air and the arena directs their attention to the entrance on the ground level. Cheering and applause erupts all around you as athletes from every nation on earth representing countries from east, west, and south stream in, hoping that they will win first place. They're proudly waving their flags. Fanfare and dancers surround each of them. The noise winds down anticlimactically, and stumbling into the arena, we see one lonely person walking in, the Son of Man. Nobody knows it because he doesn't look very impressive, but he's representing all of humanity and heaven itself. He doesn't bear any recognizable flag, at least not yet. The Son of Man goes on to compete in every event, always managing to surpass the previous world record. And yet, he speaks with kindness and encouragement to his fellow competitors. He never rubs it in their faces, although sometimes he is a little cheeky. The judges of the Olympics are appalled. They soon conspire together, saying, Oh, no, 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 no. We will see to it that this nobody suffers for what he's done. Ha! What humiliation he has brought upon us and this prestigious event. Right before the award ceremony begins, the Son of Man is kidnapped. He's beaten and whipped on his back 50 times, his records annulled. The judges of the Olympics proclaim to the arena that he's a cheater and a lunatic. He says that he's a representative of another place. They strip him bare, crucifying him as a spectacle to the onlookers. The representative of humanity and heaven is now dead. But in a turn of events, the arena begins to rumble. And suddenly a beam of light brighter than the sun shoots out from his chest. The son of man has been raised from the dead, now to take first place in everything. With eyes full of compassion, grace, and forgiveness, he looks upon his enemies and tells them they too have won with him. He turns his attentions to the spectators in the stands and yells out to them that they have also won. All they have to do is trust in him and compete in one event, a single race, a race that he has given the name the Upward Call. It's the race the Son of Man has already been victorious in. It doesn't matter what country you were representing before or if you don't even know what country you were from. For those that choose to run this race, they would get to bear his flag now 
stripes upon the skin of their own backs. This picture is not far from reality, you see. For those of us who are in Christ, we are running this race, the upward call. Our audience being saints who have gone before us, angelic hosts, and the Lord himself, Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, cheering you on. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So Christ has won. He made us his prize. Therefore, run the race. Paul starts out this section of the book of Philippians saying, and I'm going to paraphrase, look, I know I'm not fully mature. I don't pretend to have fully grasped the perfect knowledge of Christ and his sufferings, I don't fully understand the power of his resurrection, but that doesn't stop me from running the race and from running even harder to reach out and take hold of Christ. I'm choosing to do this because Christ has already taken hold of me. And I want, as I'm sharing today and, and here for everybody here, if you want to follow along, you can, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to track on the, on the right of uh, each little phrase, there is a verse. And you can just look, just, just check, check what I'm saying. Um, Christ has already taken hold of me. Verse 12, Jesus Christ has made me his own. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is telling the Philippian church not to let perfectionism stop us from being his prize. Uh, I have a picture of us, uh, myself and Alessia. So uh, <laughs> this picture was taken on the day that we got engaged. So my wife and I, uh, we got married in August of 2019. 2019, is that right? Okay. <laughs> um, so as, as a metaphor, <laughs> as a metaphor, um, you know, of, of uh, not letting perfectionism stop you from being your prize, uh, so when Alessia and I committed our lives to one another, we took a hold of one another. And in some ways, we became fully known to one another. Our habits, both good and bad, or lack thereof. Our quirks, our emotional ups and downs. But day after day, week after week, we are both still surprised to discover something new about each other. And there's so much more to understand and discover for each of us. Um, I was joking around. I found this meme. It's not really a meme. It's just an online quote. This guy, uh, Show Baraka, he said, there is no perfect marriage. There are only people who have yet to give up on each other. In a similar way, Paul is telling the Philippians that Christ has already made us his. He's never to let go of that commitment. And as we strive to know him more each day, he surprises us and supplies us with more intimate knowledge of him. We don't have to worry about being perfect because Jesus has already made us his. There's freedom that comes in not having to be perfect. Right, Mike? Like, if you miss a note or if I miss a note, oh, man, you know, like, imagine how much, how stressful that would be if we had to, like, play everything perfectly. Let's go on to verse 13. All right, it says, uh, brothers. And when it says brothers, it's really brothers and sisters, at least in this passage. Uh, 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. So move forward. Yeah. I don't know about you, but it's hard to leave the past behind and move forward. I think of, you know, my mistakes, my sin, the shameful memories, the pain. Forgetting what lies behind almost seems impossible. And we live in a society that is fixated on the past. Some of this is necessary, especially when it comes to injustice. But are we supposed to continuously live in our past? Won't it simply crush us? It's too much. So I have this helpful quote that I found online, and I confess, I, don't, I can't remember the guy's name. I just remember writing it down in my notes real quick. Um, and it'll help us think about um, the past, particularly lament. And he says this, How quickly do you jettison a memory of your sinfulness, what it costs the Lord, and move to grace and celebration? The quicker you do it, the more inclined you will be to lessen the weightiness of your sin. But the longer you do it, the more inclined you will be to treat Jesus as if he wasn't enough. So to kind of par- to paraphrase that, if we are flippant and, and move past sin very quickly, we will have cheapened the grace of God because it cost him so much. But if we just choose to dwell and stay in our sin and never move forward, we are essentially telling God that Jesus' death is not enough. Uh, you know, since we, I brought up marriage earlier, and I have another metaphor for us um, from our life. <laughs> so uh, sometimes Alessia and I get into fights, and it's mostly my fault. <laughs> um, so when we have our fights, we can either choose to dwell and stay there, or we can work together to figure out what went wrong and improve and move forward together. So um, God might be speaking to you today to forget the past, forget what lies behind, and move forward. But he might be speaking to you today by asking you to be proactive about something that you can change today. We can't let our past cripple us from moving forward. So continuing with the race metaphor, Paul tells us in verse 14, he says this, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We'll talk about the, uh, the prize later, but I want us to focus for a little on the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the one who is calling you is God, but the whole journey is in Jesus. It is Christ who shows us the way. In other words, we are following this same trajectory, the same path of Christ. And Pastor Andrew called this the the U-shaped journey or the J-shaped journey that involves us dying to our selfish, sinful ways in order to move forward in the upward call. 
The Bible uses also the language of Christ being our forerunner. It is Christ who shows us the way. He's the one who has gone before us. Uh, there is a movie that came out. It's a documentary in 2018. Some of you may have seen it. It's called Free Solo. <laughs> have you heard of it? Yeah? Okay. I watched it in like 2020, I think. So I was late to the game. Two years, you know, after it's made. Um, it, yeah, so it's, a, it's about this uh, professional rock climber. His name's Annex, Alex Honnold. Uh, and he decides to... Uh, climb up El Capitan, which is this huge uh, rock uh, in Yosemite Valley, and actually have a slide of it uh, right here for us. And just to give you some scope, uh, on the bottom there is the Statue of Liberty at 305 feet, the Eiffel Tower at 1,063, the Empire State Building at 1,454, and there it is, El Capitan, twice as tall as the Empire State Building. Now, this is crazy, and if you have fear of heights or you get squeamish, maybe it's not the right movie for you to watch, but my, my palms were sweating the entire time that it was happening. Um, but there, there, I mean, this is, this is completely crazy, right? That, that a person would climb up El Capitan. Um, and there's, there's particular sections that he talks about. Um, uh, one section that's called the free blast, where the, the holds, if you want to call them holds, they're literally as thick as two stacked quarters. You know, imagine two quarters stacked and then holding on and having nothing under you for hundreds of feet. And then using his, his feet, the rubber in his shoes, as friction to keep him up. This is absolutely insane. So how, how did he do this? Did he just wake up one day and decide to accomplish what nobody had ever done before? No, the, the reality is that um, there were many climbers before him that laid down the path. You know, they, they scoped out this, um, uh, this El Capitan and found the right ways so that he would then memorize the choreographed moves to be able to do this. Um, so somewhat, someone had to lay down the path to show him the grips and in a similar way, Jesus went before us on this upward call. Actually, there's a picture of Alex um, right there. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I'm not sure what section that is, but I would not like to be there without ropes. So Jesus, in a similar way, shows us the path. And if we look at Isaiah 42, verse 16, in one of the servant songs, it says this. I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will guide them on unfamiliar paths. I will turn darkness into light before them and rough places into level ground. These things I will do for them and I will not forsake them. Isn't that beautiful? Christ shows us the way. We have to run together. That's, that's my next big section. Run together. So let's turn our attention back to Philippians. Paul tells his readers to run together. This is not an individual effort. Uh, let's read verse 15. 
It says, let those of us who are mature or literally perfect think in this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So number one, expect to grow into maturity. Um, This is part of the Christian life. And uh, I actually went into the future and took a picture of myself as a mature man. Um, You can show that, Alan. (laughs) Uh, What was the name of that app, John? Face face app or something like that? (laughs) So there was some app that you could, you know, take a picture of yourself and it aged you like, you know, 10 years. So that's me in 10 years. (laughs) Sorry, Alessia. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Man, okay, go back to verse 12. Okay, remember in verse 12 how Paul tells us he's not perfect. Um, Well, now he's using the same Greek word to say that his thinking is perfect or mature. You know, in our English translation, you get perfect being swapped with mature, but they're actually the the same word. And in today's American culture, Maturity is not a desirable trait. The word mature today is mostly used to describe retirement portfolios, explicit movies, or violent video games. But maturity is a byproduct of following Christ. Uh, one of my favorite uh, authors, thinkers, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord now. I call him D. Willie, but Dallas Willard. Uh, he has this awesome quote about maturing. And it's this, aging will become a process of not losing, but of gaining. As our physical body fades out, our glory body approaches and our spiritual substance grows richer and deeper. As we age, we should become obviously more glorious. Isn't that awesome? And notice what Paul says, God, if there's anything in you, to think otherwise, God will reveal. God is going to disclose and reveal anything that is immature in your thinking. We should expect that. So I have a, a quick um, mundane example of um, some, some kind of revelation that, that I experienced. So I, f- I first started playing bass when I was um, 13. And I picked it up and it was just, I was, I was so in love with the instrument. And um, I, like, wouldn't put it down. I learned so, so many things. And then I started playing in church. And, uh, you know, the, 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 I would play, like, way too many notes for, per measure. You know, I'm like 30 notes per measure kind of thing. And then, you know, the, the, the worship leader band guy would he'd be like, hey, you know, like, Miguel, just try and tone it down a little bit. Okay, okay, okay. So I was very, like, childlike in my, when I first approached um, playing music, playing the bass. And then years later, um, this is probably five years ago or so, four, um, I got to play, there's this uh, funk jam in Berkeley, and I got to play with one of the world's best drummers. Um, his name is uh, Thomas Pridgen. He's a local guy here at, uh, in Richmond. And like, normally I would never play with somebody of that caliber. But um, when he was playing, man, he, he was playing simple beats, just like simple grooves, but he meant every note, you know, and the effort in which and the deliberation in which he played every note um, was, was just 
something that, that revealed to me the mark of a, a mature musician, a mature drummer. Um, and then he would obviously wait for his moments to shine, and he had all the chops, all the flair that you could ever ask for. But when, when it came t- time to serve the song, he would, he, would, uh, you know, he would back off. But he would always leave his mark on it. So for us, when, when we run the race of God, when we, run, when we run this upward call, he is going to show us things. The more we pay attention to his presence and his guidance, the more he will reveal to us and the more that he is going to grow us into maturity and Christ-likeness. And how does this happen? And Paul, Paul tells us, it happens in community. We must move in concert. So uh, let's, let's go back to verse 16. So uh, right before in 15, says, God will reveal that to you. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, in English, this, this phrase, uh, let us hold true, is, is what's translated here. Excuse me. But Paul means much more than just let us hold true. Now, remember, uh, Andrew explained that, that, uh, that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And in Philippi, there's a, a lot of retired Roman soldiers. Um, they would have lived there. And so he's speaking their, their heart language by bringing up a, a military metaphor. That's what's happening here. So um, to, to uh, kind of elaborate on this point, in, in Paris, in, in the Louvre, there's this uh, there's a limestone relief. And on this relief, we see in an ancient, Terry, you'd probably know this better than I do, um, an ancient Sumerian cohort of soldiers. And uh, this formation back then was called the, the phalanx. And this was a military tactic that was later perfected by the Romans. You can, you can watch some movies on it, including the movie Gladiator, if you'd like to see it in action. Um, but in the heat of the battle, what would happen is these soldiers would move so close to one another, uh, so close that their shields would actually um, act as a collective armor, you know, similar to scales. And this armor would... would um, would deflect arrows and spears from penetrating. And so Paul is saying his exhortation to hold true is an instruction for the individuals in the church to stay close to one another and move forward together, constantly reminding one another of what Christ has done and what he's called us to. And church, when we are close to one another, we can warn each other, protect each other, of many dangers. Uh, This race is not a race that we should run alone. So we have to stay close to one another so that we don't become an easy target. Let us hold true, as Paul says. Paul continues in, in verse 17 with what might seem like an arrogant thing to say. He says uh, this in verse 17, join in imitating me And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Now, let's think about this for a little bit. Why, how could Paul say this? I mean, like, he's in jail, right? The dude's in, he's locked up. (laughs) What possible example should we follow? Does he expect that everybody should be in jail like, like like he is? 
When Paul says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example, what he's not talking about is perfectionism as we already covered. He's not saying that you also need to be in prison in chains. Uh, he's not saying that you have to be like some famous public figure. Um, we need good examples in this time. But these examples that I just laid out are not uh, what we should strive for. We should not strive for people, uh, for examples that the world deems as successful. We don't want to look to people who have achievement by their savings account or their career. Who then are the trustworthy examples that we should follow? And to answer that question, who are the trustworthy examples that we should follow? I want to take us into uh, Greek class right now, starting now. <laughs> okay, we're in Greek class. I'm going to teach you one word in Greek, and Terry, please uh, just intervene at any moment. <laughs> okay, the, the word example, I, this is important because uh, I thought about, you know, some people when they bring up the Greek, the Greek word in this language. It's, it, I really want to do this to, to have you think about how to read the Bible carefully in the future. Um, so, the, the word, for example, in the Greek is tupos. That's what's translated as, in our English, example. Um, but this, this it, it's where we get the word type, right? Like um, typological. Um, and on one layer of uh, this word, we get, um, I have a picture of it. We, we get the, the, the understanding of, of a pattern, really. Um, the pattern is, um, this, this comes from the, the original Hebrew like um, history, but you know, when you had to, when you uh, wove a basket together, there was certain, you know, forms that you had and shapes that you had to, to make in order to have the basket turn out properly. So this is one uh, understanding of the word tupos or example. Uh, the second one is a little deeper. It, it is basically, um, you know, it's saying that uh, the, a tupos is a, a, like a seal or a wax seal. And this would authenticate the, the uh, identity of the sender. And it basically was like what our signature is today. Although now it's like electronic and, you know, it doesn't really, um, it's not the same thing. Um, but what I found in, in studying this scripture was uh, the next level, which is amazing. Um, and you can, you can put that one up. Yeah, and you can just hold it there, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I put it up right there. So Jesus, in, in the book of John, in John chapter 20, Jesus has risen from the grave, and the, he's, he's, he's revealed himself to the disciples. And the disciples, some of them have seen the risen, resurrected Christ. They're so excited, and they tell this one disciple, Thomas, um, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But this is what Thomas says. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark, the tupon of the nails, I will not believe. Think about it for a little bit. So Paul is saying, who are the trustworthy examples that we should look to and follow? And I think my answer, and I think his answer, is those who bear the same marks 
as Jesus. Blessed are you when others insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12. It's deep. It's good. So there, there are only two paths, church, two paths in life. You either accept the upward call or you don't. Uh, and, and here, it, it, things turn very sober very quickly in, in, in the chapter. In verse 18, Paul says, for many of whom, Paul says, many of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And the sad reality is that some people will not accept the upward call of Christ. Paul tells the Philippians that he is grieving this reality by his own tears. And I, I confess, like, I don't always grieve, you know, with I don't always grieve the people who aren't on this upward call with me. Uh, I sometimes get sad. You know, that's probably a lot of the extent of, you know, my expression. But, uh, and part of the reasons, and this is a confession, I'm tempted to justify myself or to judge people. You know, like, oh, maybe it's because this or this reason, like, that I'm doing this. Or, but, um, you know, I, I was just really convicted this week um, that I haven't grieved enough for those who reject Jesus. And I haven't prayed enough for more people to join us in, in this race. And so right now, I just want to offer like a one-sentence prayer. Uh, Lord, I pray that amidst this pandemic, that people who aren't on the upward call would reach the end of themselves and look to you. And that you would help us to, to guide them on, on this path. So Paul, with tears, describes those who are the enemies of the cross. Who, who, what are these descriptions? So Paul, Paul describes them as having an earthly mindset, uh, enemies of the cross. They have an earthly mindset. Their way of thinking is only about the immediate. It's like the, these people have never grown out of childishness, and they, they've remained immature. All they can think of is themselves, how to be more comfortable, how to be more self-protected, how to make a name for themselves apart from the name of Jesus and his cross. Um, Martin sh shared a, a, an, an, an article with me this last week from, from Tim Keller. It actually was in the Atlantic on March 7th. And in it, uh, Tim Keller says this really insightful and sad and sober thing. Uh, he says this uh, regarding suffering and self-sufficiency. He says, people say their suffering makes faith in God impossible. But it is in fact their overconfidence in themselves and their abilities that sets them up for anger, fear, and confusion. And this is what Paul is describing. Paul says that the enemies of the cross, uh, it says their God is their belly. 
Their belly is their God. And um, yeah, you can put that up, Alan. There you go. So by belly, Paul is not meaning his, their literal stomach. No, in, in the ancient world, um, the belly was sort of the, the center for all emotions and desires. That was thought to be understood as the, the place um, where all your desires came from. And Paul's saying that they, you know, these, the enemies of, of the cross are slaves to their own desires. Um, they are governed by lust and immediate gratification. I, I want what I want, and I do what I want when I want. And that includes food, pleasure, engaging the senses, all of these things. And Paul describes their, their sad outcome, which is destruction and shame. And we, we don't like talking about hell, I know, but the way that I've come to understand it and, um, is at its very minimum, hell is full separation from God. Everything that we experience in, in this life right now, there's grace, you know, that the air that we breathe, the, 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 the faculties that we have, the, the, the ability to, to, to just get up in the morning, all these things come from God. And, and at one point, God is going to remove those things from, from, from us, from the people that are enemies of the cross. Um, Solano, we're, we're not supposed to be happy about this. We should grieve over and weep for and intercede with hopeful prayer and share the good news of the upward call of God in Christ. We have good news. And our good news is that we have as Irene read, God is preparing a city for those who have faith in him. He's, a, a better country is waiting for us. And um, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For us, Solano, and for, for, for Paul's recipients who are in Christ, we have a new identity as citizens of heaven. And I, I love this word, uh, citizens. You know, it's where we get the word uh, politics, politumia. For those of us on the upward call, we have a new polity, a new government, a new socio-political order, a new true homeland, one that is in heaven. And along with this, God has given us a new mindset that is marked by long-suffering, and the outcome of that long suffering will be our resurrection. I have another quote by uh, my boy D. Willie, <laughs> who I hope to spend a lot of uh, good conversations with over like a bonfire or something, I don't know, in heaven. But he says this about the resurrection and Christ transforming our body. He says this, when we pass through death into God's full world, our earthly tent is torn down. We are not thereby deprived of a body any more than Jesus himself was. Rather, we are then clothed with a dwelling place of the heavenly sort, not left naked. The mortal part of us is swallowed up by life. God has prepared us for this by depositing in us a down payment in the form of the Holy Spirit. We now even... We know even now and by experience the reality of a life that is not of the physical body. The Holy Spirit is the down payment 
of this resurrected life. And elsewhere, Paul talks about, you know, uh, we have not received a spirit of fear, but one that cries out, Abba, Father. And it is Jesus who's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. That's in verse 21. Remember, Jesus has already made us his own. And this ownership is sealed by the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And it, is, it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was raised from the dead. And if you remember Jesus, before he ascended, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And Paul is saying that it's by this authority that, and power that he will change us. He's holding all things together right now. And I wish we could say more about this, but we'll have to, that would take another two, four hours or 40,000 million hours. Um, and it's only, so we have to move on to the next verse is basically what I'm saying. It's only by the Holy Spirit that Paul in jail can express himself to the Philippian church uh, in, in such otherworldly words by calling them his very joy and crown. In verse, uh, chapter four, verse one, Paul in jail has this mindset. He calls his brothers and sisters whom I love and long for my joy and my crown. Do, do we, Solano, do we see each of us as our joy and crown here in this place? That's an awesome thing to have that mindset. Do we, when we look at one another, do we see what Paul sees? Along with the resurrection and along with Jesus, the church is also our prize. That's what Paul is saying. Now, I have this picture of a, of a wreath up there. It's cool. I didn't know this, but if your name is Stephen or Steph, Stephanos, Stephanie, that means crown. Um, you know, and oftentimes it was this uh, a wreath made of olive branches. And um, I have this little quote that I, didn't, I don't have it on the slides, but um, something that, that, that alludes to the, the heavenly citizenship also. It says, Apart from the recognition of athletes and winners of various kinds of competitions, in the Greco-Roman world, the award of a crown or a wreath signified appreciation for exceptional contributions to the state or the groups within it. The recipients were usually public officials or civic-minded persons serving at their own expense. Paul understood that every good endeavor will be revealed in heaven. And a long time ago, I had this vision of like, you know, us getting to heaven and people walking up to different people and saying, you know what? You don't know this, but when you did that one thing, it led to this thing, led to that thing, led to that thing. And, and here I am because I decided to put my faith, all because you chose to do this one thing. Every good endeavor will be revealed at the resurrection and in heaven. We have a lot to look forward to. One day in the twinkling of an eye, we will look around and see the saints from all time, brothers and sisters from every nation and tribe. The more that we love each other, the more beautiful the church will be in heaven. 
Do you see one another as your joy and your crown, as royal priests, as citizens of heaven, as the bride of Christ being prepared for the great marriage of the Lamb? Revelation 21, 2 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We are God's treasured possession. Jesus is prize. And as we run toward him, let's make ourselves beautiful by serving one another in love. Now I want to close with a, a song. I'm going to sing it a cappella. <laughs> but it's a song that I learned as a kid. And my parents would play this. I, I hope my voice doesn't crack. <laughs> and I'll translate it in English. I'm just going to sing two things. But it says, uh, Cuán gloriosa será la mañana <laughs> Cuando venga Jesús el Salvador Las naciones unidas como hermanas Bienvenidas daremos al Señor No habrá necesidad de la luz el resplandor Ni el sol dará su luz, ni tampoco su calor. Ahí llanto no habrá, ni tristeza ni dolor. Porque entonces Jesús, el Rey del Cielo, para siempre será consolador. That's probably the worst rendition I've ever made. That's awesome. Here's the translation. How glorious that morning will be. When Jesus, the Savior, shall return, the nations will be reunited like sisters. All together we will welcome the Lord. We await that glorious morning to welcome the God of love where everything will be colored as flowers and with the holy fragrance of the Lord. There will be no need of the, of the moon's reflection nor the sun give its light, nor its heat. No crying will be there, nor sadness, nor pain. Because then Jesus, the King of heaven, will forever be the comforter. The Christian, faithful and true, and also the courageous laborer, and the church, the bride of the Lamb, will all be found in the embrace of her Lord. So pray with me now. Oh, Father, some of us are tired of running the upward call. We acknowledge our need to you. And I pray that, we, that you would renew our strength like the eagles, who will run and not grow weary, who walk and do not faint. God, we pray for, for wind at our backs. Holy Spirit, will you come? We pray for constant hydration. Let living water flow. Holy Spirit, please come. We pray for running mates to encourage us. We pray that others who have never stepped into the arena would also run the race. And Jesus, we thank you for being the dawn that visited us from on high. Thank you for shining on us who are living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Thank you that you will help guide our feet into the way of peace. Amen.